have a lot of silver, but they don't have a lot of wisdom. And God says that wisdom is more valuable than silver. Of course, if you have wisdom, then usually you can kind of gain the silver too. <laughs> it's kind of a byproduct of it if, you're, if you uh, have wisdom. Now, wisdom is a combination of information and know-how. Now, a farmer, he has to have the right equipment in order to do his job to farm the land and those kind of things. So he has to have the right equipment, the right materials in order to do that. But he also has to, ha has to know when to use the equipment, how to use the equipment, and when not to use the equipment. He has to know when to put the seeds in the ground. He has to know when to till the ground and fertilize it. He has to know all these other kind of things because otherwise the combination of, of his wisdom and his know-how is what enables him to have a, uh, have a harvest at the end of the of the planting season. So wisdom is basically is the uh, right application of knowledge. You can't have wisdom without knowledge. We have a lot of um, people in the legislature that have a lot of knowledge. A lot of them are very educated people. They're, they're college graduates. A lot of them are lawyers. But they don't have any wisdom. We know that because of the way that they're trying to run our, run our country now. They don't have any common sense. And common sense in reality is wisdom. And they don't have that. And that's why we're in the, you know, in the mess that we're in today is because they don't have wisdom. But if we use wisdom in our life, then our life's better and we know how to make the proper decisions. Raising your kids, we need to know wisdom in order to, to raise our kids properly. And where are we gonna get wisdom from? Where do we get wisdom? We get wisdom from God. Because God is the author of knowledge. He's the author of wisdom. And we can, get all, we can read all the books we want on raising children, but if we don't have any wisdom or know how to apply that information, then we're going to end up with a bunch of Dr. Spocks who say you don't discipline your kids at all. They're precious little darlings. We don't want to ruin their spirit. So we just let them do what they want. And we find, know now that that isn't the way to raise your kids. Dr. Spock's kids didn't turn out very well. <laughs> and Dr. Spock and his later life didn't turn out very well either. So all his, his child wearing that he gave everybody else and some of the people are still using his information has no wisdom. We want to know how to raise our children. This is where we live. No matter what we want to do in our life, this is where we're going to find the, not only the knowledge but the wisdom. And God is going to help us to take the information that we get in this book and be able to apply it to our lives. And so we want to do that. And God says to search diligently for wisdom. <clears throat> uh, verse 17 says, Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. Wisdom basically makes our life better. I always look at, if, if I'm, when I'm in the workplace, I used to look at a, at a situation and, and they, they kind of called on me to be a problem solver in my job. And I would watch an operation that we had in the manufacturing uh, place where I worked and I'd watch the process and be able to gain enough information about the process and then allow God to let me utilize wisdom to how to better that process. 
But just information itself doesn't, doesn't do anything. But when you put wisdom in there and God tells you how to make a process run better. And if we let God do that in our lives, then it'll save us a lot of, a lot of heartaches and a lot of problems. Raising your kids, working around the house, how to interact with your neighbors, whatever it might be, we have to be able to rely on God to uh, teach us how to do those kind of things. So we need to seek for wisdom. Now, in Eastern cultures, they honor old people. In America, we don't honor old people anymore. And if this new legislation has their ways, they're not only not going to honor old people, they're going to do whatever they can to get rid of the old people. But in the Eastern cultures, they realize that people that have lived a long time have, have a lot of experience. And I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I used to like to be around older people. I used to like to talk to them and just kind of pick their brains of, of the way things were when they were growing up and see what I could gain from them. But now we don't want to do that. When you get older people in the workplace, they want to get them out as soon as they can. They don't want, oh, well, no, we can't have the old people around here because we have to pay them more. Well, why do you have to pay them more? Because they know more, they live long, they have more experience than what the younger people do. So instead of utilizing all that experience that the older generation has, we want to throw them out. We want to kick them out of every area of our life. And that, you know, what are those old people good for in our society? Volunteering. That's all they think that we're good for is volunteering. Because they figure that we've outlived our usefulness. But in the Eastern cultures, they honor the old people, and they really respect them a lot. I know that when I worked at the last place I worked, we had a lot of Japanese customers, and we had them on site all the time watching our processes and those kind of things, and uh, they knew that I was the boss. And so they called me Grandma. Grandma! They come over here, and I'm going, all right, you know, it isn't quite, you know, I'm, at, I'm old and I wasn't, you know, so strangers can call you grandma, it isn't quite the thing to do. But to them, it was a term of respect. And in their culture, it wasn't a, trying to de uh, down me, or what do you call it, put me down. They were respecting me, so it was a title that to them was, a, uh, was respect. Because in those cultures, they respect older people. And they respected the fact that I was the one in charge. And to them, that was a really uh, the most respectable term, uh, term that they could use to address me. So once I understood that, they, hey, that was all right. But everybody else made fun of me. So that, then the people on the line started calling me grandma. <laughs> so just, but they didn't mean it respectfully. <laughs> so it was kind of kind of interesting situation. And it says in her right hand, <coughs> excuse me, Life is in the right hand and in the left hand and riches and honor. It kind of goes hand in hand. Wisdom, if you live your life in wisdom, you're going to basically, the law of averages and the insurance companies will tell you you're going to live longer. And the insurance companies insure people based on wisdom. They know that someone that is, uh, say, 30 years old, that it doesn't smoke, doesn't drink, and doesn't carouse around, and they do a lot of, you know, they exercise so many days a week, they know that generally they're going to live longer than someone that goes out and smokes and drinks, smokes a pack today, goes out drinking every night, and doesn't exercise, 
and they overeat all the time, and they're, say, 50 pounds overweight. They use wisdom to know in their business that this person basically is going to live less, uh, their life is going to be less than the other guy. And the expense of insuring this guy is going to cost more than this guy over here. That's the reality of it. And, and uh, science has uh, found the Bible's word to be true about a lot of issues. And it's kind of interesting that people think it's old-fashioned, the Bible's out of date. But it's not. It's just as up-to-date today as it was the day it was written. We may have to change, you know, put the words a little differently in our own language, but we don't have a problem with it when we read the Bible and ask God to help us interpret it. Because he does. He helps us read the Bible, and he helps us to glean things out of it that the world maybe can't see. But wisdom is is going to create a healthier lifestyle. We're going to live longer, basically. The law of of averages says that when we use wisdom. And the insurance companies know that, and that's how they got rich. During during the last depression we had, the only business, one of the only businesses that profited was the insurance companies. Why is that? Well, because they know how to to rate people and insure insure people and how to... uh, Cost advantage. And it doesn't take a lot of us to understand in this day and age, in, um, they hate to uh, say you can't use discrimination as far as insurance is concerned, but the insurance companies don't like it if all things have to be equal because they know that somebody lives a homosexual lifeti- lifestyle, they're going to cost more to insure that person than they are someone that is in a heterosexual lifestyle that's married. Married men live longer than single men. That's the, <laughs> or seems like, yeah, <laughs> or seems like it, yeah. <laughs> I know, and it feels like we've been married 50 years instead of 31, I know. <laughs> oh, yeah, too late now, too late. <laughs> so, but they know that, and so they base their insurance premiums on, on that issue. So they use wisdom as far as this world is concerned. So why can't we glean things from God's wisdom for our own personal lives. And God says you search for wisdom. Well, to seek diligently for it. Well, we can't really seek for wisdom. We have to seek for knowledge and information and ask God to help us turn it into wisdom. Because you can't have wisdom without knowledge. So that's the reality of it. But the problem is, you wonder why people are, are, seem like they don't have any wisdom at all? Because they're not looking for the information. You gotta get the information to get wisdom. And God, and then ask God to turn it into to wisdom in our own lives, in our day-to-day lives. Uh, verse 19, by wisdom the, lay, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the depths were divided, and the clouds let the drop the dew. Then you will go on, then you will go on your way in safety, and your foot will not stumble when you lie down. You will not be afraid will not stumble. All right, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. My son, preserve sound judgment and discernment. Do not let them out of your sight. They will be life for you, an ornament to grace your neck. So wisdom, it says, will keep you safe. Now, if we're smart, like in, in our... In our nation, we're not showing wisdom as far as our nation's security is concerned. They won't allow 
people to, to profile for certain things that are dangerous. Like they know that uh, the ones that are suicide bombers are male Muslims of an Eastern descent between the ages of what, 20 to 35 or something like that. But they're not allowed to profile, so they pull over an 80-year-old woman and they search her. When they know reality, wisdom nails them that she's not the one that they need to worry about. That's how far our wisdom or lack of wisdom has gone in our country and in our nation. We're so afraid that we may uh, do something unethical by somebody's standard that we're being stupid with our safety. And when you don't use wisdom, then you can't be safe. But if we used wisdom, if we were allowed to use the information that we have gleaned and the knowledge that we glean, then they could profile people, they could pull people aside that they know would have the tendency to be more apt to do these things and check them out and leave the poor little old 80-year-old woman alone. And then would be safer. Well, our, in our own lives, if we have wisdom, we're going to take the steps necessary to protect our family. We want to know who's living in our neighborhood. We want to know whether there's a sex offender living next door. We want to know those kind of things. So we try to find that information, and then we try to protect our family as best we can. And we take steps. We put locks on our door. You put a lock on your door, that shows wisdom. If you leave your doors wide open at night and you go to bed and turn the lights on, and you're just welcome to come on in, mug me. We take the steps necessary to be safe because wisdom helps keep us safe. There are, you know, extenuating circumstances of things that's going to happen in people's lives, but generally if we take the proper steps that we need to take in our lives, the burglars and the robbers and the criminals, they're going to go bother somebody else because they don't want to attack you because you, they know you have a gun. Now, if you're smart and you let everybody know you have a gun, <laughs> then they'll rob the house next door. <laughs> Nobody wants to come into a house where they might face the gun. And so that shows wisdom to be able to protect your family. But you don't just sit there and say, well, I don't believe in any of this stuff. Then you, you're not showing wisdom and you're just opening yourself up. But if you use wisdom and allow God to help you use the knowledge and stuff that you gain, you can, you can pretty much protect your family a lot more than anybody else can. So you can be safer. Wisdom can uh, make you safer. Uh, verse 25. Have no fear of sudden disaster or the ruin that overtakes the wicked. For the Lord will be your confidence and will, ha and will keep your foot from being snared. Have no fear of sudden disaster. Wow, that's kind of hard to do today. 9-11 kind of taught us that, you know, things can happen at any time. And, but the Bible tells and God tells us, have no fear that sudden danger. Because those things happen in sudden. Everybody that got up that morning on 9-11 that worked in the Twin Towers, they never dreamed that something like that was going to happen. If they had, they wouldn't have showed up. And there were some that didn't show up for various reasons. And I believe there's probably a bunch of others that probably had some inkling, maybe, that God was trying to get through to tell them, don't go to work today. <laughs> I don't know whether that's true or not. But I believe that if we're listening to God, that he can kind of prevent those things from happening. We, uh, a few years ago, when the 
tsunami hit, was it India that it hit? Yeah, Wherever it was over in that area, this uh, a missionary over there, he was talking, and he was telling us about when that tsunami came in. And he said that they, him and this, his family was, had been on vacation, and they were out on the beach. And they were just having a good time. And he said, all of a sudden, God told them, he says, get off of the beach, get to high ground. Well, he thought, man, this is stupid. In his mind, because we try to rationalize things, don't we? We try to figure things out, and we try to think, well, it was just something I ate. But he figured, well, I think it was God. So he took his family and everyone else that he didn't get. He says, I'm feeling like we better get up to high ground. And so they did, and because they did that, the tsunami came in, and their lives were spared. So it's kind of interesting that sometimes if we listen to God's voice and allow him to speak to us, then he can protect us. And it was wisdom. He used wisdom. He got the information. God told him. But he, the wisdom is acting on the information. And that, was, and that ended up saving his family's life. So it can protect your life. And you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to fear sudden disaster. Because I think that God will do everything he can to protect us. And sometimes, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Who knows? I think we're a little safer down here in, in Canabredonia because there's not a lot of things around here that people are interested in. Won't get as many much press down here. But up in, you know, the bigger cities, that's where they're kind of more aiming and that's where they're more apt to do something. But though I think that the way things are going, I'm expecting another disaster to happen. I'm not counting it out. It'd be crazy for us to sit there and say, oh, nothing else is going to happen. Our nation's safe and all these things because over Christmas we, we found out that uh, no matter what we've done, there's still terrorists getting on airplanes. And he was on the no-watch list. And all these things, and what do they do now? They just play the blame game. They blame this guy, this guy blames this guy, and this guy blames, you know. But in reality, God's the one that spared them. God, for whatever reason... Found him out. Maybe it was so, so he could warn our nation to be careful. You need to start being a little more careful. You can't just go on with life as usual. But we as Christians, we don't have to be afraid of that. Because even if we get caught in something that devastates us or even takes our life, where's the downside? We end up in heaven? So we don't have to fear the sudden disasters because we know where we're going. Most of the world, that, you know, I don't know how many in the Twin Towers that went down had, were ready to meet their maker. But we're, when we're ready to meet God, you're not afraid of those sudden things that can happen to your life. We're not afraid of that. And I'm thankful for that because I don't have to worry about it because if I had to worry about that, we'd lock ourselves up in our house and we'd have guns on, on every pocket and <laughs> everywhere that we went. But that isn't God's will because he says, do not have to fear sudden disasters that could come, come upon our life. We don't have to be afraid. And when we trust God, our fear disappears. When we put our faith in God and we draw closer to him, the faith and confidence we put in him, it removes fear. I mean, we can get, we get apprehensive over a lot of things that are going on, but we don't have to be terrified like, the, like people in the world are. And I'm thankful for that. Our kids, you got kids that they're afraid of the dark. And what do you do with a kid when they're afraid of the dark? We put a nightlight in their room. So their light, they have light on all the time. Well, see, God is our nightlight. So when we have a fear situation coming in our life, God's our nightlight. 
he can shine a light on things and he can uh, remove our fear if we just call out to him. And there's 366 fear nots in the Bible. And we as Christians, maybe we need to memorize a few of them. So when we are afraid, that we can start counting out and quoting some of these fear not scriptures and allow the fear to dissipate in our lives. Because fear is what the devil uses to destroy us. And so we don't want to be afraid, and God says we don't have to. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it. Now, oops, I'm in the, better read the verse first, huh? Uh, verse 27, do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back later, I'll give it tomorrow, when you have it now, when it, you have it with you now. You don't hold withhold good from those who deserve it. Now, back then they had a lot of people that they hired to do certain jobs. But then they wouldn't want to pay them. <laughs> At the end of the day, they usually paid them every day. But they'd say, oh, I'll come back tomorrow and I'll pay you. They don't want to pay them. They want them to do the work, but they don't want to pay them. But God says don't withhold money from people when, they, when you owe it to them. And not only for people that hire people, but for us when we charge something on our credit cards. God says if you charge something on your credit card, pay it. If you take out a loan and you vow you're going to pay something, pay it. Don't withhold it just if you, when you have the power within yourself to pay it. And uh, one of the things that we withhold a lot, it's not, it actually doesn't cost us anything. And that's, uh, we hold, withhold praise and uh, gratitude to our family, to our kids, to our spouse, when they do things that are right. We're, sure, we're always in a hurry to condemn them and yell at them when they do things that are wrong. But where are we when they do something right? We kind of forget that aspect of it. So we're, we're withholding the praise and gratitude that they well deserve for doing something, and we got to quit doing that. we got to be able to be willing to give that praise and gratitude. But see, we're such an ungrateful people, it's hard for us to say thank you. And we appreciate you. And you did a good job. Those things are hard for us to say. It's really easy for us to tear people down. But God says don't do that. And he says that if we have, if we have the ability within us to help somebody... We should do it. If we can help somebody, we should do it. And we live in a nation that is more than willing to help people that aren't willing to help, that aren't able to help themselves. Uh, verse 29, do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. Do not accuse a man for no reason when he has done, no, done you no harm. Now, most of us aren't planting harm against our neighbors. Anyway, I like to think we're not. <laughs> That's kind of something that, that we usually, as a basic group, people don't do. But when we slander our neighbors, then we're harming our neighbors. If we say things against our neighbors that aren't true, or we accuse them of things that without no proof, that in itself is harming our neighbors. So we shouldn't do that. And especially in the church. There's a lot of people that, that we talk about each other and we talk about all the bad things that people do. In reality, we shouldn't be doing that. God says don't harm your neighbor. And who's your neighbor? Anybody is your neighbor. We found that out in the parable of the neighbors. Who's your neighbor? So God says don't plan anything evil against your neighbors. Verse 31. Do not envy a violent man or choose any of his ways. For the Lord detests a perverse man, but takes the upright into his confidence. Do not envy a violent man or choose any of his ways. 
Now we think, well, man, we don't do this. But how many times are we willing to overlook violence in our sports heroes' lives? How many times does that happen? If they go out and they beat somebody up, well, man, they're my hero. Man, they, they got to have this guy. we got to forgive him because without him, our team's going to lose. So we overlook the things in, in people's lives. And the Bible says don't do that. And not only do we overlook it, we envy their lifestyle, the money that they make and the things that they do. And the Bible says don't do that. We need to uh, call the things like it is. I kind of respect uh, the coach of the Broncos because he set down those players. Now they might make the difference in whether they win the game today because he sat down three of his players because they had bad attitudes. They weren't team being team players or for whatever it was. And he set them down and says, you're not playing. And I think that they need to do more of that because the sports heroes have gotten away with so much in this world because of the of victory. And we need to get back to where our kids can look up to these sports heroes instead of looking, saying, I want to be just like them. Well, I don't want my kids to be like half the sports players in this country. Do you? And I think we need to get rid of that. So we need to make sure we don't do this. <clears throat> Verse 33. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks proud mockers, but gives grace to the humble. The wise inherit honor, but fools he holds up in shame. I don't want God's curse on my house. Now, a curse is the opposite of a blessing, whereas a blessing is a pronouncement of good fortune because one is initiated into God's plans. A curse is a pronouncement of evil fortune because of one opposes God's plan. God may curse a person or a whole nation because of their opposition to his will. If we break God's laws, we're inviting God's curse on our lives. If we break man's laws and we get caught, and sooner or later you do, we end up in jail or we end up with a fine or something like that. Well, a lot of man's laws came right out of God's laws. But see, God has some other laws that people that our laws don't address, and that's adultery, unfaithfulness, and of course, worshiping idols. God doesn't like any of that kind of stuff either. So well, when, we, when we're breaking God's laws, then we're inviting a curse in our lives, and I don't want to do that. So that's why we need the information, because just because we don't know it's against God's law isn't an excuse, because we know enough about God's laws without even reading this book, because most of our laws in our society is based upon it. And I want God's blessing. His blessing is on the righteous. If we want God's blessing, we have to live a righteous life. And what's righteous? Doing what's right. Basically, we know what's, what's right. Most of us do. Generally, we know what's right, to things that we should be doing. And it says, he mocks the proud but gives grace to the humble. We want to be humble. I want to be a humble person. But what does humble mean? It means is not proud or haughty, nor arrogant or assertive, reflecting, expressing, or offered in a spirit of deference or submission, marked by meekness or modesty in behavior, attitude or spirit, nor, not arrogant or prideful, showing deferential or submissive respect, unpretentious. Basically, it's a willing submission to God's law. That's humility. Because humility doesn't mean that you're a wimp, because Jesus wasn't a wimp. He, didn't, he wasn't afraid to take a whip, a whip to the temple and chase out a bunch of thieves. 
Uh, verse 35 says, in the message, it says, wise living gets rewarded with honor. Stupid living gets the Bruby Prize. I kind of like that. <laughs> wise living gets rewarded with honor. And I want to live with honor. And I don't want to get the booby prize. And it said that he'll take care of the few fools. And according to Proverbs 14.1, it says, The fool has set his heart, there is no God. That's where the foolishness starts. And anyone that doesn't believe there's a God is a fool. And sooner or later, it's going to catch up with them. And sooner or later, they're going to be punished because of their foolishness. Because they get the booby prize. I want to get honor. Now, I want, there's a lot of words to live by in Proverbs. And if you just lit, read one chapter in Proverbs a day or just read a couple verses, I read through the Bible every year, or I try to, and I've been successful most of the years. Um, and every year, every day, I get some Proverbs to live by. And if we would live by the Proverbs, we wouldn't have a lot of problems in our life. It's when we start getting away from what God says and start trying to live our own way instead of God's way that we get in trouble. Now, I know it's uh, hard to live these verses. You know, we can live these verses externally sometimes. But God wants the internalization of these verses in our hearts. He wants us to live these out in our hearts. And when we do that, then we're going to have God's blessing. And I want God's blessing on my life in the new year. Don't you? I want to live by God's word. And that's why it's important for us to crack the, the, the cover of this book every single day of our life, to be able to get the information and say, God, help me to understand this information and give me the knowledge that I need and then apply it, the wisdom to apply it to my life. Let's pray. Our precious Father, Lord, I thank you.